Well, as you can see, it's not our regularly scheduled programming, so we're blessed to have uh, Reverend Jim Hollowatch. Uh, you served in Mississippi, Jackson? Yes, Jackson, Mississippi. Uh-huh. And retired? Supposedly. Supposedly. <laughs> Yet here you are. <laughs> and currently living in Iowa. Yeah, Lake right? City, Iowa. Yeah, that's correct. All right. Very good. So uh, Reverend Hollowatch is here to introduce David's Harp, which is an RSO. I'm sure he'll say something about that, but a registered service organization of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. That's rarefied air. So this is a good program uh, and of course extremely apropos for our circumstances. We need good church musicians. We need good church music. Luther I think famously said that second only to theology is music and its power to transform the heart and the mind. So, without further ado, Reverend Holloway. Thank you so much. And I do thank you, Pastor Rody, for this opportunity to speak. If, as I assume you feel the way I do about your time together in a Sunday school class, sharing and hearing and learning God's Word, you guard this time jealously, and you don't hand it over lightly, uh, which is why it really surprised me. Oh, I'm out of the camera, huh? Well, I am going to pace. I'll probably be off the camera once in a while. That means you're the privileged few that get to continue looking at me. Uh, that said, um, I've, got to, I've got to regroup. Where was I? Oh, thanking you for, for the opportunity to, to speak with you. That I had emailed him a couple of months ago, letting him know that we were doing the snowbirding thing again. We came out last year for the first time since we moved to Iowa uh, and met a number of you. And then thought, gosh, if we go back out this year, maybe I can share some things about David's harp. So I sent an email to Pastor Rody and to another pastor in Lake Elsinore where we were last Sunday. And honestly, really didn't expect to hear back. And we didn't until two days before we got on a plane. <laughs> pastor Rody said, yeah, sure, come on down. Uh, how many of you are familiar with or have heard of David's harp prior to a minute and 70 seconds ago? Nobody. Okay. Fresh, no, that, that's, uh, that's great. That's why I'm here. Well, that and because Iowa looked like that when we left. <laughs> and literally, actually, that was taken on Easter Sunday last year. Um, I prepared that before going down to my old congregation in Jackson, Mississippi, the week after Easter, to say, you know, the reason we're here this morning is to get away from this. And their azaleas were already in full bloom, and it was magnificent. It will be late May before our trees even start to bud. It's just crazy. Uh, so that's, that's one of the reasons we're here. But the other is, yes, to share with you the, the work of this new mission. And by new, we may be... Uh, certainly one of the newest RSOs of the Synod, established in 2019. And our mission is to proclaim the gospel through God's good and beautiful gift of music, specifically the music that has been bequeathed to us in generations past through the the history of the church, uh, including the history of the Lutheran church over the last 500 years. We are intentionally striving to raise up a new generation of church musicians And we're doing it by providing musical resources and providing the expertise and the encouragement to local congregations, schools, parishes, missions to establish their own parish-based music conservatories or music academies. And what I am hoping 
to do this morning is to share with you a little bit of my own experience in revitalizing a congregation through, simply through the liturgy, the hymnody, and worship. Uh, not any other gimmicks. And, and then sharing with you the history of David's harp that originated very much the same way, interestingly, by way of a classmate of mine from the seminary. And then finally, uh, after sharing you know, the materials and how they're set up with you and, and what we're doing here and abroad, uh, encouraging you to consider how, yeah, you might actually be able to do this here. And based on your facility and what I've seen of the, the number of children you have, probably should be doing this here. Uh, and if you do, how David's Heart can help you with that. Uh, and if you don't, even if you don't establish your own parish-based conservatory or, or school of uh, church-based music, uh, how you could partner with us to, to help us do this work uh, that is now taking off worldwide. Uh, it's remarkable when you consider that David's Harp has no paid staff, we have no employees, we have no office. We are essentially five pastors and a small board of directors who are all volunteers just doing this from our desks in addition to our full-time jobs, except me because I'm retired. Uh, but it's become a full-time job practically. Uh, and yet, the way the Lord is having good use of this group of people and our contributors who are helping us compose and produce materials, uh, it is going like wildfire. Now, why is it so important for us to be involved in this, this mission of, of, uh, of raising up a new generation of church musicians? Well, this is St. Paul's letter to the Colossians, where we read, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. Why is music so important in the church? Well, the fact is, we are commanded to make good use of music in the church. This English translation is as good as it gets, but it really lacks the the power and, and, and the message of what the Greek is portraying here. Because this let the word sounds like what you would call a subjunctive, uh, you know, let us do this, an invitation, take it or leave it. That's not the verb form. The verb form in Greek is a present tense imperative. It's a weird, not often used form of that verb that doesn't just say do this, but has the emphasis of always do this, never stop doing this. You must always be letting the word of Christ dwell in you. How? By the teaching and and the hearing of the word, by the encouragement of one another. How? Through the song of the church, by way of singing the hymns and the psalms, the spiritual songs, which are the canticles, the liturgy, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. This is what it means to be the church in communion as one body of Christ together in communion with our our Lord and Savior uh, in our midst. We have a next slide. Now, my wife, my long-suffering media tech-savvy person, has the hardest job here this morning because I've given this talk in a few different places, conferences, conventions, churches, and each time it's very specific to the place. This time, I'm, I'm shooting from the hip. She has a script that says when to change slides, but I'm not following it. <laughs> so she's going to be the hero here, keeping this all together. But 
So with the with the admonition, the command to sing music, uh, the, the, the liturgy, what is happening there is when we go in and we start worshiping, um, we, we aren't just jumping through the hoops, doing the next thing, singing the next song, but we are uniting our voices as one so that there is a unity, a community, a communion, right? Singing is what the many who are now gathered as one as the body of Christ and the body and blood of Christ are doing together as one. Not just together with the people in the pews next to you, but together with the church militant throughout the world and the church triumphant, all of those who have gone before us. You have in the Sanctus, for example, holy, 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 Lord God of Sabbath, heaven and earth are full of thy glory. Do you know where that comes from? Has uh, Pastor Rody done a, an intensive uh, teaching on the theology of worship and, uh, and the parts of the service elements, and you're all just too shy to say, oh yeah, that's Isaiah chapter 6. That's Isaiah's vision, which is very similar to Ezekiel's vision and Zechariah's vision and St. John's vision. These rare glimpses that the prophets and the apostles of old have been given a glimpse of the heavenly reality. And what do they record? They're all recording the church's song in these words. Isaiah stands before the throne of God and he hears this hymn being sung just like St. John does, just like we do. Which means that when we go into the nave and we stand before Christ in his real presence and we add our voices with the angels and the archangels and all the company of heaven, we are no longer just in three-dimensional space and time. We are actually in that place where heaven and earth are now the same. Okay? And you're adding your voice to grandpa and grandmas or your parents or you know, those who have gone before us, Luther and, and all the saints, um, and with those who will come after us in a transcendent reality. Uh, as, as we now come into God's presence, declare his praise, uh, declare our thanksgiving, and receive his gifts for our forgiveness, life, and salvation. The, the other hymn, uh, and, you know, I, I could go through the whole service, but the Gloria, you know, proclaiming the, the glory of Christ who manifests the fullness of his glory on the cross as the Lamb who is slain, worthy is Christ the Lamb who is slain. Power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and blessing and glory are his. That's out of Revelation, okay? And you'll probably sing that after Easter uh, when we sing the hymn of praise. This is the feast. Um, Where's that one? Worthy is Christ. They're, they're all the same text, right? Because we're singing the same thing. And so these are the, the means by which we both confess our salvation or like Isaiah, come on our knees and acknowledge our salvation, our unworthiness, our uncleanness, where our lips are cleansed, where the gift of the altar is given to us to, to give us that cleansing, and where we now leave from there to go into our lives and vocations to serve uh, for the life of the world around us. That's what the communion is all about, right? What would the church be like where this music is not taking place? It appears you had a fairly robust musical um, community uh, from what we heard in the first service. Good singing, a decent space, a good organist. Uh, So thanks be to God. You are a rare exception. Uh, Without this gift of music, the church is a very different place. And I can tell you some stories about that. And I'm just going to start with 
the story of my own congregation in Jackson, Mississippi. I've got to be very careful here not to get crazy on tangents because it's a weird story. But I actually, I went to school uh, and graduated my undergrad degree uh, from Irvine and then moved to Mississippi in 1981. My parents had moved out there. uh, And that year, uh, right before I moved, I became a Christian. So I was an adult convert um, and I was studying pre-med, so medicine and science, molecular biology, biochemistry, evolutionary genetics, and so on. And then bang, next thing I know, I'm a Christian moving to Mississippi, where I got accepted to medical school at Ole Miss. I had to live there for a year, and during that year, found my way into a Lutheran church because they needed an organist. And I was a pianist. I thought, well, I can do something on that. It's a keyboard, right? Uh, And I did for a year, and was catechized there. And then I got to go down to Jackson uh, and started attending a church down there close to the medical school. Uh, Met my my wife, uh, married her in my third year of medical school there, and during that time, the congregation had, I'll remember the exact number because that's, you know, I did all the research when I, when I was ordained there. It was 267 members, a couple of services, both packed nice and full. They had purchased a new organ. My father-in-law was a violinist and was the choir director. They had a lot of nice stuff going on musically. Ended up doing my residency in St. Louis. We moved away. And from St. Louis, moved right uh, to Alabama, where I had my medical practice for 15 years. And during that time, something unusual, sad, or maybe not unusual, was happening all over the country. That church in Jackson had a, a significant decline uh, in membership. Uh, they planted a daughter congregation, and then the people that stayed kind of got anxious, and they got a new pastor, and it wasn't a good fit. And the long story short was, when I finally went to the seminary, the reason was because of my interest in music and the theology of worship. Uh, in the congregation where I was, people were completely unaware of what was taking place. And as a layperson, I was an elder given responsibility for the parish, the music life of the parish, which I thought was weird. I asked the pastor if I could start reading some things about worship. And as I read them, I thought, why doesn't everybody know this stuff? This is magnificent. This is the gospel. This is how you participate with knowledge and joy and enthusiasm in the divine service, is knowing what's happening here and what these words are doing and what's happening. So... I started teaching that and eventually discovered, guess what, my heart's in this. Uh, I enjoyed my medical practice, but off to the sem I went because Kantor Resch, who was the Kantor and the musician at the seminary in Fort Wayne uh, at an organ workshop that I attended, said, Jim, you're not author- you don't have the authority to do this work that you're doing. I said, oh, yeah, I do. The, the pastors love it. I've got this Sunday school class I'm teaching. I'm going to start doing catechism in the day school. And he said, no, you aren't authorized. And by that, he meant you don't have the pastoral authority. You have not been called and ordained and identified as a man who preaches and teaches the word of God to perform these tasks. Uh, Okay, I'll go to the seminary and get the authority, and then I'll get back to work. (laughs) So that's what I did. And lo and behold, did you believe that I got my call? Just like everyone else, they say your name, you walk up to the platform, and they tell you such and such a church, like Christ Lutheran Church, Jackson, Mississippi, Southern District, the church where I met and married my wife. And away we went and met our 39 members that were left in the church. 39. And about half of those were impoverished, uh, black, deaf members, people that used to be employed by a school uh, that was across the freeway from us. Um, 
So it was just a very small handful of people that were determined to be the church in this place, so determined that they call a full-time pastor. And of course, they were very anxious when we got there. We had one child, a four-year-old, so my wife was able to start teaching Sunday school right away. Uh, But I went to the first council meeting that that Tuesday night. I was ordained on a Sunday, and they had their, their meeting. And then afterward, the congregation president said, okay, pastor, tell us your plans to grow the church. I said, oh, I don't have any plans to grow the church. And of course, they had their simultaneous seizure. And, and that was the beginning of the work to, to alleviate what has been a culture of anxiety in a declining church in the Western world for a couple of generations now, really since the 60s, when it, especially in places like the southern United States where the Lutheran church was never large, uh, never prosperous, never anything like the Baptists and the Episcopal and so on, uh, wanting to get bigger. And so to do this, they were looking at all types of things to do to bring more young people into the church, to become more relevant. You've heard the drill, right? Um, Changing the worship style, abandoning the hymnody and so on. And what were the results? They're catastrophic. Okay, Christ's Lutheran Church didn't go that route. Uh, They were encouraged to, but they didn't. They had faithful pastors who who maintained the use of the liturgy and the hymnal and the traditional hymnody. And so when I came in there and said, let's not worry about how to grow the church. Let's just rejoice in being the church together. And just started teaching about the theology of worship and doing everything I could to make the very best use of every resource I could find to enhance the music in in the worship of the parish. Uh, It started with my ordination. Um, I just made phone calls and and got symphony players. We actually had a timpani and trumpets. Uh, Some of the the members of the congregation knew people in the the community opera chorus. So we got a nice big choir there. I paid for a friend of mine who's a a great musician, organist, cantor in a a church in Chicago to come down and play and direct the choir. Uh, And Counter Resch came and, and preached. And we just blew the walls out of that place. It ends up, there are probably 100 people there, but only about 25 of them were members. Uh, but it set the stage. And no, we didn't have timpani and trumpets every weekend after that. But I did my best to just beg, borrow, pay as much as we could to musicians from anywhere we could get them to keep that, that worship and that proclamation of the gospel through that gift of music alive and well. And the punchline is Within a month, I never had another question, not a, not a glimpse of any anxiety about how we're going to grow the church. People were just so content to be there hearing and learning and, and worshiping um, in the church. And they would start inviting friends or people would drop in and they'd stay. And within about 10 years, we'd added 150 new members doing nothing but being the church. Okay, Because people see that and, and they realize that this is a thing of beauty and truth, goodness, there's peace here, um, and they, they come in. So that was my experience with it. Now, trying to think of which segue, because I've got a couple of them here. Yeah, this was, this was our congregation, and, and I like this picture, which is most of the reason it's up here, but thank you. Um, this was probably about seven or eight years ago, and this was one of our vicars. And this is 
one of, our, one of my confirmation kids, uh, who's now pastor at Concordia Lutheran Church in Jackson, Tennessee. This is one of my sons-in-laws. He was a seminary student at the Concordia, uh, Fort Wayne. That daughter married him. This is another one of my sons-in-laws. He was a student. Uh, at that time, he was doing his STM at Concordia, Fort Wayne. That daughter married him. Uh, and there's me bringing up the rear. And there's, you know, there's the people on an average Sunday <clears throat> just... Oh, all holding hymnals and singing. How great is that? All right. So what I expected in moving from there to Iowa, I mean, you're talking the, the Lutheran heartland, right? Lutherans coming out of the walls. Churches everywhere. Strong communities worshiping together, serving together, living and loving together. Or not. Because that is not what we found. Uh, <laughs> Not remotely what we found. I'm, you know, since I'm retired, that means that instead of serving one church, I serve about 25 congregations now, <laughs> doing pulpit supply. And so I'm traveling all over uh, west central Iowa, helping guys uh, while they take, take time off for vacations or conferences and what have you. And what we find are these big, beautiful, empty shells. I mean, they built big churches out there. And as a rule, they have about... 20, I would say at most 30 people on a Sunday, all over the age of 60, uh, maybe a kid, probably a grandkid or two if they're there at all, and they're all sitting in the back pews with 20 empty pews in front of them. And the organists, uh, I kid you not, they, they're probably the average age must be about 75. Uh, they're in their 70s, 80s, and we actually sang happy birthday to one not long ago who celebrating his 91st birthday. Uh, so, you know, and, and what is it that, that they are asking? What is their concern? If you were one of 20 people in this Iowa town and this is what your church looked like, what would you be concerned about? How are we going to survive? How are we going to keep this place open? What are we going to do to grow the church? The Synod is asking this question. How are we going to revitalize these rural parishes, right? Um, How are we going to get more young people in the church? The question you're not hearing is, who's going to pass on the liturgy and the gifts of the hymnody that we've received onto our children? Who's going to lead the church's song? Who is going to be the organist as we go into the future? You know, how might we reinvigorate the music life and the worship life of the parish so that these places, you know, even if they're small, they're alive and, and not thinking you know, that they're anxious and that they're dying? Well, those are the, da- uh, the questions that David's harp is now providing the answers to. <clears throat> David's harp began in a parish in Council Bluffs that was in severe decline. And it ends up a much younger, more energetic classmate of mine. I was 40 when I went to the seminary. Uh, Pastor Nathan Sherrill was 22. Uh, And and we got our calls at the same time, and he was called to this congregation in Council Bluffs. And he tells the story, uh, which I'm going to kind of rely on his notes that he published here, that St. Paul's was declining 
And as a result, they were changing their worship customs in a last-ditch effort to try to bring people in, to be more relevant, to to prevent further decline. Uh, They thought of themselves as a dying congregation. They referred to themselves as gray hairs. And he says the funniest suggestion that they ever seemed to come up with was, well, we just need to relocate. Uh, You know, that'll fix everything. Well, he did the same thing I did. He started... To, to think of ways to enhance the, the music and to bring people to a fuller understanding of the worship so that they would quit worrying about how they were going to grow the church and just get back to the joy of being the church. He had a, a different route, though, that where I was scouring around some local you know, colleges in town and so on, looking for, for people that could, could serve us musically, he hit on the idea of growing musicians, forming musicians. And it happened when he started, you know, by realizing, okay, we need to to do something musically in our worship. So his wife was a pianist, and he said, you know, let's let's go ahead and have you start playing some different things uh, pre-service-wise, kind of oriented around the hymnody. We're going to get people plugged more into an intentional use and understanding of the hymnody in relationship with the church year. So she started doing that, and he soon met one, another one of his members who was a produce manager who played guitar. And the two of them were able to start doing pre-service music with piano and guitar that was quite lovely. And eventually somebody asked, gosh, uh, asked pastor's wife, would you give my kid piano lessons? Sure. So she did. Uh, she started giving piano lessons for free uh, in, in the church. <clears throat> and then the, the same thing happened with the guitar player. You know, can my kid take guitar lessons? Sure. And so I started giving guitar lessons. And one kid tells another or one kid sees another learning how to play piano or guitar. And what happens? Well, I want to do that. Remember when you were growing up, did, did most of you take piano lessons or some kind of instrument? And do you know of any of your grandchildren or children or anybody who's doing that now? Do you? That's pretty rare. Uh, I see music studios in town now, in, in some of these towns where we're, we're traveling around, and that's encouraging. And what we're going to end up talking about is not planting a music studio in your church, per se, as a business, but uh, developing a, a parish-based conservatory as a mission outreach because what you're going to find is that the materials that are going to be provided, in addition to you know, your usual Thompson or Sham or Bastian or whatever the teacher's using and your technique and your theory, you usually get a songbook, right? We're providing the songbooks that can be put to use immediately by very young, early musicians in the service, in the pre-service music, playing and getting a feel for what it means to, to serve musically in the church. Uh, and, and the way these things are set up, as I'll soon show you, is that they are also very Christ-centered. So there is artwork and devotions, and they are, by the way, the hymns of the church, a hymn for each season of the church year in each volume, so that the children are now being oriented around that instead of row, row, row your boat and a patriotic song for 4th of July. Okay? Now they're learning thy strong word uh, and... and learning to sing it at the same time then that they become familiar with the melody and they find it in their songbook. You remember that when you were taking lessons and, and you came across a song? I know this song. Now I get to play this song. There's a special excitement with that. That's what Pastor Cheryl discovered was happening. Um, that, that He started by 
orienting the congregation around these, these hymns of the season, teaching them very intentionally, uh, picking one hymn for each season, uh, and then in the many opportunities that he had to re-sing it and refresh it, actually teaching it and teaching about it, the people started memorizing them. And it started with a fair amount of pushback. Oh, we can't sing that hymn. Oh, we don't like that hymn. Oh, that hymn's too hard. To the same people saying, wow, this is now my favorite hymn. And we went to that church two weeks ago, uh, Sunday before last. Uh, it's in Omaha, you know, Council Bluffs is near Omaha. And it was two packed services. We were in the first one, the early service. And we watched as people, you know, those who didn't know the hymns, a good number of them still went up with the hymnals in their hand to take communion, but a good number of them just sang every stanza of the hymn by memory as they stood there waiting to take communion at the rail while they were waiting to receive communion. Another sight to behold, especially when they're children doing that, okay? So he's developed this culture through, through a very intentional teaching and then thought, wow, if we can give this music to the kids to play along with these music lessons. Um, he discussed that with Dr. Elizabeth Grimpel. Uh, she's a professor of music and a pianist at uh, Concordia Seward. And this was in 2017. He met her at a conference and said, what do you think about the idea of setting up like, a graded approach to the hymnody of the church that kids can learn along with their lessons? And she pondered it and thought, wow, that's kind of interesting. You know, nobody's thought of anything like that before. And it was a tremendous challenge because when you're writing for mature forms, you know, you got a lot more at your disposal. But writing for new musicians is tricky. But she did it. And she did it beautifully and marvelously. Um, and what they came up with was their first Hymns of the Season songbook. This was volume one. And the cover actually says St. Paul's Music Conservatory. Because guess what? About the time this happened, that little church with no kids that was full of gray hairs and dying had about 100 kids in their music conservatory, okay? And, and these kids are now memorizing the hymns and playing in the church services and so on. And when Dr. Grimple, you know, helped with this one and word got around that, hey, you know, this, this is doing remarkable things. We could, we could promote this and provide for this to be happening in parishes all around the country, around the world, perhaps. Um, so, so David's harp was born, uh, an RSO of the Synod, with the intention of providing the expertise to, to help congregations that were interested and had the, the resources to do this, and providing these specific resources. Do we have the slide of, of the way these are set up? What, what volume is that? I think this is a volume one. might even be the first song. It's not. Oh, here it is. Well, right, so this is, this is level one of Oh Jesus Christ, Thy Manger Is. Do you know this tune? Do you know the hymn? Oh Jesus Christ, Thy Manger Is. I don't have them memorized. Remember, I was over 40 when I went to the seminary. I was an atheist before that, so I wasn't given these gifts as a child when they would have stuck. But we can do that for our children and grandchildren. So here it is. It's just a single, simple unison line. And what's so great about it is, is when a child is able to do that, they can now play the pre-service music, or they can play a Sunday school opening. Because here's the accompaniment part for their teacher to play with them. And together they sound very presentable. As you move up, you now add the left hand, 
You're still in C major. Level three changes to the more complicated uh, key signature of, that's in the hymnal and is now adding intervals. And then finally, at level four, you're approximating the degree of difficulty that you find in the Lutheran hymnal. You would learn that first, and then when you go to the hymnal, it's, it's a bit harder than this. But this, um, you know, a child that's playing at that level is playing fairly proficiency. And incidentally, so are adults. That adults uh, who you know, are now in these parishes that don't have organists and used to have some lessons as kids are buying these books and are able to play the hymns using these settings uh, and gradually building themselves back up as well. Each hymn is accompanied by a devotion and artwork. And this devotion, I'll just you know, read it to you. It may be hard to see back there. So this is for, O Jesus Christ, thy manger is. Uh, although we patiently, and by the way, this is an Advent hymn, right? Although we patiently prepare during Advent, we certainly are happy when Christmas arrives. Most children look forward to finding great treasures under the tree on Christmas morning. However, the treasures we claim as children of God are far more important than the gifts given and received at Christmas time. This is what pastor and hymn writer Paul Gerhardt shares with us in his profoundly rich hymn, O Jesus Christ, Thy Manger Is. Pastor Gerhardt tells us that Jesus was born because of our great need for a Savior. Gerhardt describes the manger as his paradise because Jesus was present in that manger with grace for all. In this hymn, we learn that Satan, sin, and suffering are defeated by the Christ child who would die for us and win salvation for all. This message gladdens our hearts and helps us learn that our greatest treasure in life is Jesus Christ, our Savior. And then there will be, you know, in some of the settings, there will be stanzas from the hymn, there will be scripture passages about the hymn, and then this artwork. How many of you are familiar with the artwork of Ed Riahas? Some of you, yeah. It's not a household name, but he is a very famous artist. His work is known worldwide. His, his works are exhibited in museums. Thanks be to God, he happens to be a Missouri Synod Lutheran who is providing us with the artwork for these projects. And you can see the artwork is, is great. Um, that in line with you know, Jesus in the manger, you have this emphasis of Jesus in the middle with the cross uh, as the backdrop over the wood of the manger wrapped in swaddling clothes. You know, the, the child who came to die to take away our sins is the gift that we receive. And Mary, you know, the church uh, and, and the world looking at Christ as, as Christ looks out uh, to give to us this greatest of all sacrifices uh, that gives us life everlasting. So as a teacher, you know, you're not just teaching theory and music and here's your next music book and okay, let's learn um, uh, the saints go marching in or whatever. It's, it's, you know, here's our next song and can go over this devotion with them. A child can take this home and color it, which they are. Uh, but that's the, that's the big thing that separates a business conservatory from a church-based, parish-based evangelical mission of the congregation itself to provide this for the children in the community. This now goes out into the homes. Of those 100 children, uh, it's over 100 now at, at Council Bluffs, about half of them are not members at any given time. But what happens when it's their turn to come in and play that Sunday is their family comes in with them. And, and then they stop and they ask questions. You know, they've never seen worship like this before with organ and hymns and liturgy and chanting and the holiness and the, 
you know, there's something going on here. And they start asking questions about it. The next thing you know, there's baptisms and new members joining, okay? Uh, and that's because this is a very deliberate, intentional proclamation of the gospel going out into the community. A child thinks, I want to learn piano. And what they receive is the music of the church and the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the results are stunning. The, do I have other? Oh, okay. Yeah, so some of this stuff is old. I, I would invite you, if you're really interested in getting some great clips, um, of going to Facebook, where we keep these things updated with things that your, your ears and eyes just will just be blown away by. But this is an early clip. Go ahead and play this. I talked to that mom. Was that the, the mom? Of, the first time we visited Council Bluffs, I'd been invited to, to uh, be on the board of directors. So we, we drove out there and met Pastor Cheryl uh, and, and uh, his associate, Pastor Frank, who's, who's developing all these resources, overseeing their development. Um, and while we were there, this mom and dad were getting ready to fly to Arizona. They were there to pick up their kids. The two sons were there for piano lessons. And she talked about, oh, this is, this is the most amazing and wonderful thing. And we learn these hymns in the church, uh, and then our kids get to take them home, so we hear the music of the hymns in our home throughout the week. I couldn't ask for more. And, and there's just that level of excitement and, and participation in what? The gifts of Christ in the church. Uh, being... We were there a couple of weeks ago. Oh, yeah. <laughs> these kids... The was she the contour? No, no. She was. She, uh, my story is that mom said she is just so excited oh, just to right. be able to play in church, but she just isn't there yet. But because her siblings all play in church, and she's just like, Mom, when can I? She's chomping at the bit to get on the bench and go. Yeah, but but yeah, the thing I remember was uh, was it these kids or was yeah, it others? Yeah, it was the one in pink. Okay, they showed us the contours for for the church service. You know, singing the. Uh, uh, the hymn, uh, the psalms, so that they would sing you know, the first part and then the congregation would respond antiphonally. And of course, you know, their voices aren't just sing loud, which you'll hear in a moment uh, with, with some preschoolers, but rather, you know, sing beautifully. Learn how to use your voices. And, and now this is, they, they now have a music camp for a couple of weeks during the summer. So these are all, for the most part, preschool kids. Now, we got some older ones. Maybe this is a Wednesday night. That Wednesday night thing, they all get together. Uh, so they call it Christ Academy. They have a, a dinner available. They come in shifts. And some of the kids go off for their confirmation instruction. Uh, but they all start here with the singing of the hymns of the season. And Pastor Hating it? 
they're belting it out. They're doing great. There's, uh, I think the next one is the one of the, uh, the summer music camp. Oh, okay. So, so they have all these opportunities. You know, this is a the grocery store where a young fellow sings uh, violin, their, their youth choir, uh, piano. So they have all these places and opportunities that are being made for them to play and perform. And you would think as a kid, it'd make you a nervous, jittery wreck. Uh, but just the opposite's happening. They're getting a feel uh, for the joy of playing this uh, for, for the people. And this one... Okay, so this is the Early Childhood Center. This was the music camp. Did it go backwards? Dr. Christensen is the organist there. And it's hard to hear this, but these kids are going to rattle off about 20 scripture verses, including verse and number. We won't listen to them all, but... Oh. Redo. All right. Sure. So they got their tone chimes there, and he starts the, you know, the first group on the tone. So says, okay, the third, so they play the third, the E. And okay, the fifth, and then the fifth comes in, and, and so now they're playing the triad, and then they sing to it. And they're, they're singing, glory be to Jesus. you got to start so much, right? Remember, these kids are they're three years old. And, and learning, you know, the music of the church already there. So, moving on, how much time do I have? Just uh, 10 more minutes? David's harp in 2019 became an RSO. When, when word got out of what was taking place in Council Bluffs, the revitalization uh, the, the health and the vitality of the congregation, uh, the bringing in of the children. Uh, probably most people that hear it, and perhaps some of you are thinking, why didn't we think of this sooner? Why hasn't somebody started doing this a long time ago? You know, I see more people do that when they see these resources at, at conferences. Um, and that's what Contra Resch you know, my, my mentor at the seminary and the contra at the seminary said, and said, we've, we've got to get this, make this available to the church. So they, they uh, started the RSO and started talking at um, a couple of, of worship conferences, and this was, oh, the fall of 2019. And what happened? They had about two months before COVID shut everything down. So we had just launched, just gotten established. I think we had just gotten the second book out, and we had like two conferences that they presented at. And in the two years that followed, eight conservatories took off, including, do you have the slides of, of uh, Concordia and Jackson? This is his video. Did you want to... Oh, yeah, yeah, this, this is a nice video. He can say much more than I can in just a few words. 
This was the video they produced when they launched. ...to creating musical resources and establishing centers of music education and outreach in churches, schools, and missions. A recognized service organization of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, David's Harp works closely with those who serve on the front lines of ministry in the church. Many, including pastors, teachers, musicians, deaconesses, administrators, and missionaries, have benefited from the work of David's Harp through its mission support and resource development. The Hymns of the Season series is a backbone of the resource development of David's Harp. This series was begun by St. Paul's Music Conservatory in Council Bluffs, Iowa, and was passed on to David's Harp for continued expansion. Unique to David's Harp resources is the graded approach to hymns and liturgies. Within these resources, you will discover skillfully arranged music in a graded manner for the developing musician. Through this approach, a musician at any level will find settings that correspond with his or her ability. The leadership of David's Harp believes that one way of raising up musicians for the church and community is to establish parish-based centers of music all over the world. Our goal is to equip Christian churches, schools, and missions as they intentionally pass on the faith through music and as they encourage young students to share their talents with others. If you are a pastor, missionary, musician, professor, parent, or teacher, you may be the one to help stimulate the teaching of music in your parish. If you are interested in learning more about our resources, our centers of music, or how you can support this mission, visit our website at www.davidsharpmusic.org. Email us at info at davidsharpmusic.org or call us at 712-322-4729. Right, and I do have some, some business cards here with those numbers and some brochures. Uh, if you're interested in, in taking those and, and following them in your catalog for ready reference. And Susan, will, we'll just leave a, a blank sheet of paper that we do come out with a newsletter about twice a year that just updates you on the you know, what, what developments are taking place, what new resources do we have, uh, that if you're interested in kind of keeping up with what's going on with David's Harp and don't do Facebook or what have you, just leave your name and, and information and we'll, we'll send you the newsletter electronically as it comes out. All right, um, just a, a quick note. This was the young man in the picture who was one of my confirmands. Uh, what I didn't mention was that when his family came to the church, they came over from the ELCA uh, and he was, in fact, an atheist, uh, a non-believer. Uh, I spent my first night with their family getting to know Eric better. Um, as he was handcuffed to a bed in their home and the FBI was taking all the computers out of their house, uh, probably related to pictures of him holding an AK-47 and wearing a ski mask and writing some very unwise things as a young teenager. Uh, it's okay for me to tell that story because he tells it all the time. Uh, he, he just you know, sat through the catechesis because his parents demanded it of them, and, and the lights came on, 
And lo and behold, he went to the seminary and is now pastor at Concordia Conservatory, where he's not a musician, but having you know, come through a church and, and recognizing the role and the importance of music in the parish and in the worship service and in the life of the church, found himself a musician. Uh, and they have worked together. And within just five years, this was last spring, uh, they had 65 students on piano, strings, voice, uh, some C and B flat wind instruments, and they have just recently added 30 more because a, a teacher came over from the symphony and brought all of her string players with her. So now they're going to be able to start employing a string orchestra in their services, and they are making requests of us. We need descants for C and B flat instruments. We need some violin volumes. We need some string volumes. Uh, so. So we're kind of hustling around thinking, okay, composers, help us out here. You know, get some of this stuff written for us. We're now field testing uh, the string volumes at Concordia. Uh, but Pastor uh, Rudzinski, that, that's his name, you know, I talked with him on the phone uh, last fall, and he says, you know, the, the biggest challenge for me is keeping up with, with all the new families that are coming in. He said, it is so amazing. I'm sitting in my office. You hear a kid come in for his lesson. He's singing thy strong word as he you know, ambles down the hall. Next thing you know, the next Sunday, he's playing it in the worship service. His family's there. And then they're coming to me and asking questions about the service. And then they're joining the church. And I just, I can hardly keep up. It's not an exaggeration what's, what's happening here. To go from, from zero to 100, it, it's not a guarantee. David's Harp is not a church growth thing. But where music is intentionally put in the service of the gospel as it was intended. This is what's taking place. Now, since last um, fall, I guess just in the last six months, we, we did, you know, there, there's about five of us that go around uh, just talking about what's taking place, introducing the opportunity, and the result is now 15 more conservatories getting started. And of course, most of the nation is like you folks. You haven't even heard of it, which is why we're still coming out and saying, you know, this is a thing. You can do this here. And even if you don't want to do this here, you can help us do it elsewhere. And not just in this country, but this is taking off worldwide. I was in a conference call with Pastor Ted Cray. He's the director of Latin American and Spanish Mission. His office is in the Dominican Republic. And he is ecstatic about the help that David's Harp is providing in terms of of planting and even reinvigorating the missions in now you know, 14 South and Central American countries. In these parishes where they don't have the money for pianos and organs, uh, what do they have? They have guitars. Uh, so, so they're asking us to provide guitar volumes. And not only that, do you have... Um, the next one is Angel. Yeah, okay, that's, yeah, let me wait until I click it because we, we helped develop the Lutheran service book, the hymnal, in Spanish. It's different from the Spanish hymnal that came out through the Lutheran World Federation. It's actually LSB in Spanish. And they've now distributed 20,000 copies of that through Central and South America. And Pastor Frank, Pastor Cheryl's associate pastor, has recorded now 680 hymns and service elements from the service book into an app that can be used on a computer, tablet, or a phone. They sent this to the studio down in Dominican Republic where they combined that with a voiceover from a woman in Argentina that they call the angel because she has the voice of an angel. 
They put the two together, and now this app goes out and it leads the congregational singing. So the pastor might, you know, when you get to the proper preface, the Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. In Spanish. Los elevamos al Señor. So you see how that goes. The, the entire divine service three is recorded this way. So that even the responsive elements can be done. And she's leading a congregational response where there might not even be a musical instrument. If they've got an iPhone, which they do, they now have musical leadership in the tradition of the Lutheran Church and the Lutheran Um, So they, they are wanting us now to help them establish a conservatory there. And we're also in the process, in fact, We've, we've launched a conservatory at the uh, Southeast Asian headquarters in uh, Chiai, uh, Taiwan, that, that working with uh, Dr. Ferry there for the past couple of years, we've been providing all these resources for free. And they can introduce now the, the beauty and the tradition of the church's song in cultures where they would not otherwise be receiving it. I thought this was a great quote from, from missionary Roger James. He's the area director of South Asia. Cultures in a mission setting have their own forms of music which should be honored and brought into the service of the gospel. No doubt about it. But when one becomes a Christian, then he or she also receives another culture, the culture of the greater church, which includes the hymnody of the ages. These belong as much to the South Asian as they do to the Midwesterner. And these books, these resources are now providing the very means by which these, this song can be brought into these different cultures. All right? Now, I, I get the sense that we have about run out of time, but let me just say, I, I probably don't have the... Maybe I do. These are correspondences that I got from Pastor Cheryl yesterday. Said Jim, our, you know, we're making great progress uh, due to our consultation over the years, uh, helping Charles Ferry with the uh, work in the music conservatory in Chiai, Taiwan. Uh, they're ready to go ahead and start converting the space on the lower two levels of their building, which currently has housing for missionaries, offices, and so on, uh, into a music conservatory. They've called a deaconess. Uh, uh, Becky Bartelt is there now to teach music and to be the administrator of this conservatory. And they're going to use that as kind of the stepping off point for training musical leadership uh, for the mission plants and congregations. And with these resources, we'll now have the means of providing the music and doing the worship according to the tradition of the church. A closing statement from Luther. Like Moses in his song, we may now boast that Christ is our praise and song and say with St. Paul that we should know nothing to sing or say, save Jesus Christ our Savior. This is the preface to his 1548 hymnal. All these songs, referring to his hymnal, were arranged in four parts to give the young, who should at any rate be trained in music and other fine arts, something to wean them away from love ballads and carnal songs, and to teach them something of value in their place, thus combining the good with the pleasing as is proper for youth. I would like to see all the arts, especially music, used in the service of him who gave and made them, I therefore pray that every pious Christian would be pleased with this use of music in the service of the gospel and lend his help if God has given him like or greater gifts. 
As it is, the world is too lax and indifferent about teaching and training the young for us to abet this trend. God grant us grace. Amen. It's taken us 500 years to get the memo, but I think Luther is on to something. <laughs> right? So I will close with that and with a prayer. I would uh, entertain any questions, but I think we're probably about out of time. So let me just close with a prayer, invite you to come and, and look at some of the resources we have. You can leave your name. Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, you have given us a new song of praise. For you were slain, and with your blood you have purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. O Lord, open our lips, that our mouths may declare your praise. And grant us peace as we take our places again this morning in the communion with you and with one another, rejoicing in the unending song of the angels and archangels and all the company of heaven. For you live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Thank you so much for your time and attention this morning. Uh, And we do appreciate you thinking very seriously about how, as individuals, you can support our work, and also as a congregation. I've noticed you've got a number of mission uh, people that you're, you're giving to now. Keep David's harp on your radar.